Now, we're continuing our series called Unexpected Joy, uh, based on the book of Philippians. There are three parts to it. First of all, I encourage you to be here for the sermons every Sunday, uh, week by week, right on through March now. Also, I encourage you, if you haven't got one of the books, to go to the Unexpected Joy display out in the lobby and get a hold of one of the study books that goes along with it that we've produced. And then thirdly, there's still time to get into a life group. Why not just give a March try? Uh, to a life group. Just just give it a shot for the next four weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, if you go out to the Unexpected Joy display in the lobby, they'll get you connected with a small group. You'll make a couple new friends, build some relationships, and dig deeper into God's Word. And really encourage you to interact with the book of Philippians on all four levels. Uh, sermons on Sunday morning, a weekly study on your own, and then as part of one of our life groups. So with that in mind, uh, let's dig back into our study of Philippians, and let's start with this. Today, we're going to look at three safeguards for keeping your joy. Three safeguards for keeping your joy. Because here's the problem. Joy leaks. Uh, joy doesn't last. It leaks. And we've got to safeguard it. We've got to protect ourselves against the leakage of joy in our Christian life. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul starts us off this morning. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's a command to have joy, to rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Now, I want you to know, you say, oh, Pastor Glenn, you say the same things over and over again. I'm in good company, okay? Paul did as well. He said the same things. The most important things are worth reminding. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord, and I'm reminding of you of this again. And it is a safeguard for you, a safeguard for you. So we're going to look at three safeguards for keeping our joy. Uh, Rick Warren writes, do you remember the joy when you first came to know the Lord? That thrill of everything is new and everything is cool and God is blessing you in every area of your life? Why is it that so many Christians lose their joy? Even people who are serving in ministry. I've seen so many people start off in the Christian life with the bubbliness of a new Christian. But as I watch them, after a while, they get a slow leak. As time goes by, they start to lose their joy. Why is that? It is because there are killjoys in the Christian life. There are things that will intentionally rob you of your joy. If you don't know what they are, and if you don't take the proper precautions, you'll lose your joy as a Christian. So we're going to look at these safeguards for keeping our joy. The first one is resist legalistic attitudes. Resist legalistic attitudes. Now, legalism is when instead of it being about a relationship with God through Jesus, it, the Christian life becomes all about rules, all about do's and don'ts. Uh, the emphasis shifts uh, from not what God has done for us to what I have to do for God. That's why we have a regular reminder, the Lord's Supper. We do it on a monthly basis. The next time we do it, it'll be on a Good Friday night, and we try to, on a monthly basis, remind ourselves of what God has done for us and getting the focus on trying to earn our way into God's favor, what I have to do for God. You've heard me say this many times before. 
But every world religion, every world philosophy can be summarized, even the, the religion of Christianity can be summarized by two letters, do. This is what you do. Follow this uh, path of enlightenment. Follow this list of do's, avoid this list of don'ts. Uh, follow these rituals, do these rituals. Follow this path, the systematic things you need to do in order to have a relationship with God. Every world religion, including the religion of Christianity, every world philosophy summarized by two words, two letters, D-O, do. Only in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, do we find the emphasis not on what we do, but on what has been done for us by Jesus on the cross, by his death and by his resurrection. It is not what we do, it is what has been done for us that we receive as a free gift. Now, the group of people that Paul is talking about here in these next few verses are called the Judaizers. And they were like a cult, uh, like a group that was constantly attacking Paul. Wherever Paul would preach, there'd be the Judaizers there to kind of try to mess people up and mess with their minds. So he's writing to the Philippians because obviously the Judaizers had come to Philippi. Now, Judaizers comes from the word Judaism, the Jewish faith. And of course, everybody that first followed Jesus was from the Jewish faith. But these Judaizers said that it wasn't enough to receive Jesus and what he has done for us. It is Jesus plus something else. It was kind of like done plus do. What Jesus has done plus in addition to that, what you must do. And so it was Jesus plus circumcision. The way you could tell that a Jewish boy uh, was Jewish was he was circumcised. Unlike the Gentiles and the Greeks, the other ones, they were not circumcised, but the Jewish boys were. And so they say, well, it has to be Jesus, what he has done, plus you must do circumcision. It would be Jesus plus diet. Uh, Not a diet for health or for weight loss, but an Old Testament diet. What we would call today a kosher diet. So you must follow Jesus plus follow this particular diet. And then you'll be right with God. Uh, Jesus plus the Old Testament laws, the Ten Commandments, and the other laws in the Old Testament. Or the strict keeping of the Sabbath. Jesus plus strict adherence to what you can do and not do on the Sabbath day, on the holy day. So Paul is going to attack these Judaizers. Now remember, Paul's the guy that wrote the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But when he needed to bring it, he would bring it. When he needed tough love... He could bring it on. And here's what he does in verses 2 through 4. He says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Now, dogs were not cuddly pets. Nobody had dogs for pets back then. Dogs weren't like the way we look at them today. They're not like my 125-pound St. Bernard, Millie, who thinks she's a lap dog. Millie, uh, seriously, we're we're, we're watching TV, and I'll say, Floyd, come here. Now, Floyd is my medium-sized boxer. Floyd doesn't want any part of it. But Millie overhears my invitation to Floyd. And she says, I'm up, I'm up for it. And so she crawls into my lap every time. We said, I've got, so I watch TV with 125 pound St. Bernard on my lap. That's how we watch TV at our household. Well, that's not what you think of when you think of dogs. We're major dog lovers in our family. But instead, well, first of all, it's kind of a turn on things from Paul, kind of reverses it on them. That is, the, when the Jews were arrogant, when they said, we are God's people, we are chosen God's people, they, they began to forget that they were blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. They began to think, God blesses us just because we're all that. And they began to get arrogant. And so Jewish people, if they were arrogant, would often call everybody who was non-Jewish, the Gentiles, would call them dogs. That was their reference. They would call them dogs. Now, these dogs were wild pack of dogs. 
that would attack strangers. You had to be careful when you were on a trip that this pack of dogs didn't attack you. And so you'd say, if you're on that trip, you go through that particular part of the country, watch out for the dogs. And so he's saying, watch out for the dogs. He reverses it. They used to call Gentiles dogs. Now he calls the Judaizers dogs. These evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He would say that when you use circumcision as a legalistic act to be made right with God, you become not doing something spiritual, but instead you are a mutilator of the flesh. He continues now in in verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision. Uh, We're we're the circumcision. In the Old Testament, they often talked about circumcision of, of the heart. And God said, it's not just to have your body circumcised. You've got to have a circumcision of your heart. You got, your heart's got to be broken. It's got to be right with God. It's got to be humble and gentle and teachable before God. We are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, by flesh, He doesn't mean your skin. He means in human effort to be made right with God. That's what He means by in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now, Paul is not bragging here. What he's doing is, is saying, been there, done that. He's saying, I understand where the Judaizers are coming from. I understand where that temptation is from because I myself took that path. I understand what they're saying. And it's not because I'm jealous of them. It's not because I'm thinking, oh, I can't live up to the law the way they do. No, I've been there, done that, but it's insufficient to make you right with God. It's Christ and Christ alone. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he's going to list them in just a moment. So safeguard number one is to live each day by grace. Live each day by grace. And this is so important. Because in the Christian life, I believe we usually understand when we come to Christ and salvation that it's all about Christ and not about us. We get that. So we come to Christ and, Lord, I realize it's not my own efforts, my own individual efforts to be made right with you. I can't do that. So I'm depending on Christ and Christ alone. Here's the problem. Over time, we came to Christ by grace, but we begin to live day by day by our own good works. We think every day, yeah, I came to him, I I punched my ticket to heaven through grace, but on a day-to-day basis, I've got to earn God's love. I've got to work in order for God to like me and to love me. And so the Bible says, Paul says, we've got to live each day by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, lest any man should boast. It's it's a gift from God. It is what he has done, not what we must do. And so after salvation, still on a day-to-day basis, it's still about grace. We've got to live each day by grace. So here's the question. How do you know when you're falling into the trap of legalism? And again here, Paul is not bragging, all right? The whole point of this is, I've been there, done that. I understand where you're coming from. And if you think you can out-obey the law, you haven't met me. And so here he goes. Uh, Verse 5. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, just like a good Jewish boy should do. His parents had him uh, circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm not just any Israelite. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And probably other than the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin was the most 
prestigious. It was prestigious to be from the, the tribe of Benjamin. They were the ones that when Israel had a civil war, we talked about Rehoboam uh, back in January, and there was a civil war, and all the tribes deserted King David. Uh, David, the line of David, his son was Solomon, and then his son was Rehoboam. They had a civil war, and all the other tribes abandoned the tribe of Judah that King David had come from, except for one tribe, and that was Benjamin. They were the only ones that stuck it out with him. And so there was a certain chip on their shoulder that we were the ones that hung in there when it got tough. They were the ones that produced the first king of Israel. Saul uh, was the first king of Israel. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul's parents, Paul, the Greek name for the same name, Saul, Saul in the Hebrew, Paul in the Greek, uh, they had named their son after the first king of the nation of Israel. And there was kind of a pride that, yes, we're the tribe that produced the first king in Israel. It's kind of like when I grew up in Virginia. Uh, there was kind of a proud pride about we had produced the first president, George Washington. We gave the world George Washington. And if you live in Virginia, you know the factoid that most presidents, more than any other state, have come from the state of Virginia. And there was kind of an area. You know how many Virginians it takes to screw in a light bulb? It takes ten. One to screw it in, and nine to note the historical significance thereof. <laughs> My mother used to have little napkins, like little napkins for a fancy party that you'd have out. And it was a quote from somebody in Virginia in the 1700s that said, To be a Virginian is a benediction from above and a blessing from God. It is an entry into all the major courts of the halls of Europe and the powers of Europe. It is a blessing from the beginning of your birth to the end of your death to be called a Virginian. And that was kind of uh, the attitude that, that Benjamin had. We, we are Benjamites. We aren't just normal Israelis. We are Benjamites from the tribe of, of Benjamin. Uh, he goes on to say, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, that is, he's done his 21andMe genetic test, and he is like 99.99% Jewish. There ain't nothing else in there. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. How many of you have ever taken those DNA tests? Anybody ever taken those? And Kimberly and I gave them to each other for Christmas, and so we were excited to get it back, and the timing couldn't have been better for me because it was right in the middle of the Olympics. We got the results back, and it's when Norway was killing everybody. And it comes back that I am 43% Norwegian. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Even though I've never done a winter sport in my life. I was like, yeah, 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 I am. And, it, and it's a funny thing in our family because one grandparent was Norwegian and one was Swedish. And uh, we were always Swedish growing up. And then my dad made the decision that he didn't like the politics of Sweden. He liked the politics of Norway. So one day we wake up, okay, kids, you're Norwegian now. You're no longer Swedish. So we just kind of switched midstream to, to being Norwegian. But this is what was going on, a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin. One thing I missed about Benjamin is that they were, uh, because he was the youngest of the 12 children of Jacob, he was the only one of the patriarchs, the 12 that started the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. He was the only one that was actually born in the promised land. And so there was this arrogance, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, oh my goodness, he had been taught by Gamaliel who is the most famous Jewish teacher. This is like he went to Harvard. He went to Stanford. In regard to the law, I got taught by Gamaliel, a Pharisee. Now, when we think of Pharisees, you know, we, we tend to think, oh, the nasty people that gave Jesus such a hard time, and Jesus was very hard on them. And that's true. 
But for the people of that time, they would have admired the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones that were most passionate about the things of God. And so it was an honor back then to be a Pharisee. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the spiritually elite. There were never more than 6,000 Pharisees at any one time. It was kind of like the crack troops, the green berets of Judaism. They turned the Ten Commandments into 613 more commandments. They expanded the 10 to 613. They would not eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath because that was considered work by the hen. They would not scratch a mosquito bite on the Sabbath because that was considered work. They believed that a woman should not look in a mirror on the Sabbath because she might see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out, which was considered work on the Sabbath. Uh, We're talking picky. Uh, Rick Warren is writing this, and he writes, I went to Israel a number of years ago, and we stayed in a hotel that had 12 stories. On the Sabbath day, the elevator automatically stops at every floor. It's programmed. The rest of the week, it's just like our normal elevators. But on the Sabbath day, it stops at every floor automatically. Why? Because Pharisees believe you couldn't push the button. That would be work. So it automatically stops at every floor so you didn't have to push the button to stop it. Paul is saying, you want to talk about rules? I kept, I kept uh, the rules. Uh, as for zeal, uh, persecuting the church, I was so protective of the Jewish faith that I would kill Christians that would try to follow Jesus that I perceived as being different than the Jewish faith. As for righteousness, right standing with God, based on the law, I was faultless. And so uh, Paul here is is saying that, you know what, he's not necessarily bragging here, but he's saying, you know what, if you want to keep the law, I can match you uh, step by step. I'm able uh, to do that. So let's apply it to ourselves today. Uh, How do we know that we're slipping into legalism? Well, you begin to trust in in rituals, uh, things like baptism or communion or catechism or child dedication. Now, don't get me wrong. All these things are good things. And if you read your commentary that goes along with it, you'll say that many of these are good things. It's just that Christ was superior. That's his whole point here. And so these are not bad things, but you shouldn't depend on them for your salvation. You begin to trust in race. Now, for the Jewish people, that was their Jewish race. They, they were really racist in that way. And they believed they were superior to all other races. And so it would be similar today to your heritage. Maybe your mother was a Christian, or your grandfather was a Christian, or your uncle was a pastor. Uh, you begin to trust in religion. Uh, people are always fascinated to hear that Jesus was 100% against religion. Because that was all about D-O, not D-O-N-E. Uh, You begin to trust in rules. Just like I said, they had expanded the Ten Commandments to 613 uh, different commandments. You begin to trust in reputation. Again, these are good things, but you trust in that for your right standing with God. And so, as Paul says in another place in Romans 14, verses 17 through 18, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, that is following the Jewish dietary code, but of righteousness, peace, And joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval as well. Now, can I make a confession to you that I um, don't care to talk on legalism very often. 
And, and, and this is one of those times when I'm doing it because the passage demands that we do it. It leads us to do it. But uh, sometimes I don't preach on it a whole lot. Let, let me tell you why that is. Not because I don't believe it's a problem. But the reason I don't talk about it all that much is because even though Jesus is perfect, he's dead center, he's balance of truth and, and grace and love and mercy uh, and, and righteousness, and he's the balance of everything in the Christian life so perfectly. But we as human beings, we tend to go one direction or the other. And you can see tendencies in the body of Christ uh, across the broader church, not just our church, but the church. You begin to see going to one extreme or the other. It's like a pendulum, and we tend to go one way, and then we react against that, and then we go the other way. And so when I was born in the 50s or when I was a child in the 60s, uh, I think there was a lot of legalism in the church. I, I think there was, there was tons of it. And so there was a necessary reaction against it. But now I fear that the pendulum has gone too far in the other direction, which we call libertinism, based on the word liberty. That is, there was such a reaction to the Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts, which it is not. But we reacted so strongly against that that it's kind of like, okay, just accept Jesus and live your life any old way you please. It doesn't really matter. Just, just do your own thing. Yeah, Jesus has got it all covered. Yeah, the gra- we, we call that sloppy agape. Or we call it uh, cheap grace is what Bonhoeffer called it. Where we kind of say, oh yeah, Jesus has got it all covered. Now I can live anyway. I don't have to have a, a faith that works. All I have to have is faith instead of works. But then I don't have to have a faith that puts itself into action. So now I think the pendulum has gone too far in the other direction. And I know this is a little bit esoteric, but hang with me here. I want to read you something from Matthew Katz that I just got so much out of. It was such a blessing to me because I think it really speaks to the two extremes that, that people tend to go in uh, today. He writes, Sometime, someone has pictured legalism and libertinism as two parallel rivers that run between earth and heaven. That is, we're here on earth, God's in heaven, and these two rivers are in our path. Uh, going across like this, parallel to each other, but they're blocking us from heaven. The stream of legalism is clear, sparkling, and pure. But its waters run so deep and furiously that no one can enter it without being drowned or smashed on the rocks of its hard demands. It's cruel. Legalism is cruel. It's heartless. You can never feel like you, like you feel like you never measure up to God's standards. You'll drown and be smashed on the rocks of its harsh demands. The stream of libertinism, by contrast, is relatively quiet and still. And crossing it seems easy and attractive. But its waters are so contaminated with poisons and pollutants that to try to cross it is also certain death. Both rivers are uncrossable and deadly. One because of impossible moral and spiritual demands, the other because of moral and spiritual filth. But spanning those two deadly rivers is the bridge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only passage from earth to heaven over those two rivers is through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The two rivers lead to death because they are man's way. The gospel leads to life because it is God's way. Isn't that beautiful? All God's family said, amen on that one. The, the cross of Jesus Christ is the bridge across the two extremes of legalism and libertinism. Now, the second one is to reevaluate your activities. 
uh, verses 7 through 9, chapter 3, uh, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of knowing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now this word translated here, garbage, is translated politely. It comes from the Greek word skybalon, skybalon. And you can read about this in your commentary that goes along with uh, our study here. And it's a horrible word. It means um, a half-eaten corpse. So it's like coming across the, the a body of a person that's half-eaten by wild dogs or by vultures. Uh, it can mean um, garbage or refuse, what you throw out. Spoiled food is one definition of it. Or it can mean lumps of dung or feces. So Paul is basically saying, I consider them, you fill in the blanks in your mind, okay? Not going to say it out loud for you. But I consider them garbage, skybalon. These things, it's not that they're necessarily bad, but compared to Jesus and knowing Christ, they are skybalon. They are garbage. They are lumps of dung or of feces. So safeguard number two is keep your priorities in perspective. Another reason we lose our joy is, is misplaced priorities. That'll get you in trouble to have misplaced number ones in our life. Uh, Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard, have a safeguard, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of of possessions. He said, be careful about what's number one in your life. Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right, righteousness means right standing with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, which are not bad things, will fall into place, will be added to you if we have our priorities straight. You, you know what is a recipe, uh, a prescription for for just being miserable and losing your joy, is to have multiple first priorities. It's kind of like being in love with two girls at the same time. You want to be miserable? Try that. Uh, remember the, the song, um, and I will date myself uh, by this song, Torn Between Two Lovers, Feeling Like a Fool. Being in love with all, both of you is breaking all the rules. It is also going to break your heart. It's going to drive you crazy to be in love with two guys at the same time or or two women at the same time. Uh, Multiple first priorities will drive you crazy. It will make you miserable. And so God's word says, give up on it. Surrender to Christ. The other things are good things. They're not bad things. But have him as your number one priority to know Christ and to make him known. And he says, all the other things are going to fall into place. Jim Elliott writes, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. You are no fool if you give up what you can't keep anyway for that which you cannot lose. Now, don't raise your hand on this one. But how many of you, just think of it in your mind. This is tax season right now. And how many of you, if you have another person do your accountant or somebody do your tax preparation for you, how many of you, particularly if they're not a Christian, you sense your accountant thinking you're a little bit crazy for the amount of money that you give away. 
You ever get that vibe? I've heard that from our people that, that, that they say, Pastor Glenn, just tell me I'm not crazy, okay? Uh, because my accountant thinks I'm insane. And I'm picking up this vibe from him or her as they look over what I gave away during the past year. And here's what I would say, what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep in order to gain that which he can never lose. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that is going to prove to you that your pastor is an idiot. But I'm going to tell it because it illustrates my point here right now. Okay. Wednesday, I, I get this, this voicemail. And I'm looking at the transcription. And I listen to the voicemail. And it's from the FBI. And it says that I am wanted for tax evasion, for tax fraud. And they know where I live. They know my address. And there has been a felony warrant for my arrest when I arrive back at that address if, if I don't clear this thing up. Now, you guys are already laughing a little bit because you see what's coming. I didn't have a clue at that point. I'm just scared. Oh, my goodness. This is, this, oh, oh my God. This is bad. Now, my clue should have been that the phone call came from banning. That, that should have been my first clue. But all I thought was, I didn't know there was an FBI office in banning. You learn something new every day. So, others, my, my daughter, Lee, up in Seattle, she got the identical same scam that's going around and stuff like that. She, she got the same message. And they just laughed it off. They just, you know, just laughed it off. Not dad. Not dad. I called him back. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I, I start talking to this guy. And I should have known. I mean, the moment I started talking to him, I, I should have known. He was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I just should have known. But I, I have my notes right here in my day timer. And I want you to know what my case number is with the FBI. I wrote that down. And then I, then I wrote down what the federal warrant for my felony was. I wrote that thing down. And, and, and I was careful, not a complete moron. I, I said, okay, I'm not going to give him any information. I'm going to wait now because it sounds a little bit sketchy. But let's see if he asks for my social uh, security number. And, um, and, and, and it began to be more of a clue. And he says, now, do you want this settled in court or out of court? I said, oh, out of court, out of court. I don't want a trial right here in Pomona. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to And so I said, I want this thing out of court. He says, okay, well, here are the rules. Rule number one, you can't talk to any third person about this. And, and I said, well, can't I have my tax preparer call you? Oh, no, the felony's against you. You can't have your tax preparer. So then I'm getting a little bit suspicious. I said, well, how much do I owe? He says, $4,900. I said, for each year? He says, no, just for this period of five years. And I was so disappointed because I'd saved that $4,900 to give to a Nigerian prince. That was what I had I'd, I'd saved the thing for. So, so, so disappointed. And uh, now, just a, a note, if a Nigerian prince uh, emails you, ignore it. It's a scam. Now, if it's the prince of Wakanda, different story. You do whatever that prince tells you to do, Okay. They try to sell you Libranium, I want some. I want in on that. Let me know how to, how to do it. Sorry, that's an inside joke for those that have seen Black Panther. So, so please forgive me on that. So anyway, finally it's beginning to dawn on something that dawned on you the first quarter second I said this story. You got it. I didn't. So finally I said, you know, I'm uncomfortable with this conversation, and I'm going to hang up now and call the police. And he goes, well, then we're going to proceed with legal action. So there's a little bit of doubt as I put the, you know, I didn't put the phone down. Who puts the phone down as I turn the phone off? And so I called my son-in-law, who's a lawyer for the Justice Department. I said, Kenny, Kenny, I got this thing. And, I, and he's so loving. He's so patient. Uh, he starts going, Dad, no, they wouldn't do that. And then I tell him some more things. No, Dad, they wouldn't do it that way. Da, 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 da. No, my daughter's in the background laughing her head off. <laughs> my family is never going to let me forget this. Never. 
And the kids aren't going to forget it. They're going to watch dad carefully in the last years of his life. They're going to watch me like, oh. That was the whole point of that. Is the first thing I thought when they said, you're being audited uh, by the IRS, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this giving thing has gotten me in trouble. That's, that's what has flagged them. Oh my God. They, they think I'm crazy. But he or she is no fool who gives up what they cannot keep for that which they can never, ever lose. Anybody want to say amen to that? And then refocus your ambitions, verses 10 and 11. He says, I want to know Christ. Refocus your ambitions. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Safeguard number three, get to know Christ better and better. How do you get to know God in a personal way? You spend time with him just like any other relationship. You build a relationship through time, through talk. That's been said, much prayer leads to much joy. Little prayer leads to little joy. No prayer leads to no joy. Jesus said in John 16, verse 24, he said, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive. Talk to me and your joy will be complete. And then the third T is trust. Learn problem by problem that he is reliable and you can trust him with your life. Even calls from the FBI <laughs> about your tax evasion and tax fraud. I was, so, now you guys are laughing, but some of you are laughing and you're going, oh, I'm so glad that's a scam. Oh, good, oh, good, oh, good, oh, good, oh, good, that's a scam. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper now, which is a built-in reminder, a built-in reminder of it's not about what we do, it is about what he has done. That's why we do it on a regular basis. And everybody here is welcome uh, to share the Lord's Supper with us. Um, You just need to know that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you've opened up your heart and accepted his free gift of what he has already done for you. It is nothing you do in human effort. It is simply receiving as a gift what he has already paid for, what he has already done. You say, Glenn, I don't know if I've taken that step or if I'd like to take it uh, today. How would I go about doing it? Right in front of you in the book rack is a little card that says resource on the top. It looks just like this, and it says how to become a follower of Jesus. And there's a little diagram that really summarizes what I just talked about. It really is a summary of what we've just been talking about. And then there's a little suggested prayer. And if you've prayed that prayer in the past, or or if you'd like to pray it today to receive that free gift, then you are very welcome to honor him by remembering him, by taking the bread that represents his body done for us, his death done for us on the cross, his, the cup is his blood that was shed for us, done for us on the cross. It is not what we do, it is what he has done. And this is a built-in reminder so that we live by grace, not just when we come to Christ, but day by day by day. And all God's family said, Amen.